No mai haki mai ki te wiki iwa. Ko Tim Ho and this is the MTEL podcast. This week we're looking at the wider perspective of education and society and I'm joined by Timihinga and Mila who will talk about the countries that they visited and the wide range of perspectives that this has allowed them to experience. It's been really good seeing the range of ideas being shared on the Google Plus community about your assessment artifacts. So please try and give some feedback on these as your peers will really appreciate it as we get closer and closer to the time when we're going to have to present our ideas and also submit our artifacts. The collaborative element is actually one of the assessment items for 8003 and this is directly related to the feedback and the collaboration. So it's a great opportunity to do this anyway. So many of you will be putting thought into the upcoming assessments for 8003, which could be causing some worry. So I thought I'd break them down beyond the overwhelming overview of five assessments in two weeks. I'll also be hosting the usual Tuesday evening Zoom session, which will be at 7.30 this week on Tuesday, the 26th of June. So as an overview, the first due assessment is the 8003 number three presentation. Now, I've also thought that it might alleviate some of the stress if some of you had the opportunity to do this prior to the workshop. So there is the option, and there's a link in this week's email and on the portal on the assessment page, to submit a form which will allow you to opt into submitting your 8003 presentation as a video file. You have to follow the rubric exactly as you would for the face-to-face version. It's just that you'd upload it and attach it to the assessment page and submit it before 5pm on the 9th of July, which is when everyone else has to do it on that afternoon anyway. If you don't fill that form in, we'll just assume that you're going to do it face-to-face on the day. So the presentation really is you bringing together your ideas about the artifact and underpinning them with your evidence-informed philosophy. Now, an evidence-informed philosophy could be your philosophy, which has been informed by things that you've read. So you may say, or we may start to talk about after week 10, when we talk a bit more about our philosophy, that my philosophy has changed quite a bit since the original ideas I had during summer school after reading some of the key documents such as Kakitia and Kiyakipanaku um, for the um, 8003 course. I've decided that my philosophy is more focused on X, Y and Z or whatever it might be. For that reason, I created this artifact because I identified a need within my school and within my community to enable this to happen. Okay, so really the presentation should be something which you started thinking about already because you should have started thinking about your artifact already. So it's not, shouldn't necessarily be a crunch time, um, hard deadline on that. It should be something incremental, which is built into your practice. Now, the next two assessments that are due are actually for 8002 and 8005, and that's your 1.2 and 2.2, which is in a similar format to what we've been working on so far throughout all the other formative assessments and the um, summative and formative assessments during summer school. The 1.2 assessment is like you did for 1.1, but you really need to focus on how you know what to teach. So how do you decide on the knowledge that your learners need? What things are informing you on the content that your learners have to take on board? Is it appropriate for your learners? Is it informed by Tanga Tefenda Tanga? Now remember for this assessment, the feedback which we gave you during the workshop was that you need to underpin your ideas by relevant professional and cultural knowledge and also add in elements from your portfolio, which was also missed. Now 2.2 was similar to 2.1. You need to focus on the element of knowledge. And in this case, it's pedagogical knowledge. 
So how do you teach the actual content? What are the things that you can do to enable your passion for the subject of physics or maths or whatever it might be, be instilled within the learners that you're faced with every single day? So those two assessments are the formative ones, but they are must submit. And the last two assessments that are due on the same day is the 8003 artifact, the actual artifact, and the 8003 collaborative piece. Now, the artifact is hopefully something you're doing already in your classroom. So it could be a lesson plan. It could be a newsletter or panui out to um, Fano, It could be a class um, or a staff PD session. So hopefully you've got evidence of that and that's the thing you can submit. There's also 500 words to identify how you justify and identify this, identify this, sorry. And then we have 8003, number five collaboration. And this really is just a 10 minute job where you're only gonna screenshot the conversations and interactions you've been having with your peers and collaborating on and use that as evidence. Now there's different levels of quality in what we're expecting and the best will be where you're critiquing and interacting in a way which builds knowledge. So you'll be challenging people's ideas, you'll be supporting their perspectives and interacting in a way which is professional and expected of a teacher. So hopefully as a summary, those five assessments don't seem such an onerous task. Now, one thing I did want to mention, which is a topical, uh, topical topic, which is something um, which you may be interested in, in the next couple of weeks, is that there is a huge education review going on around New Zealand, as you probably heard. And the NCEA is currently being reviewed. And I really think that you all, with a fresh new perspective on education in New Zealand, will have some really good thoughts and opinions. Now, there are different ways to do this, and there's separate different hui's all around New Zealand. Um, I even went, went to one in Gisborne the other day. But the best way to find out about it is look at the website from the ministry, which is called conversation.education.govt.nz. And there you can have your say. So going back to the content this week, we're attempting to look at the wider perspectives of education and society. Now, this is important because it allows us not only to understand where New Zealand sits on a global scale, but it also enables us to think more about the diverse range of learners in front of us. As many of the statistics will point out, Auckland is the fourth most cosmopolitan city in the world, which provides many benefits and challenges in education. These ideas and perspectives should influence our own personal perspectives on education, which we talk about more next week. Now, the tasks this week are to look at a country that you're interested in and investigate how their education system works and then use that data to inform you and then a, either a picto chart or a Canva, which are both tools that we've used in the past on summer school, to create something which will allow you to share your ideas on how that education system could influence the teaching and learning which happens inside your classroom. Now, if you're really stuck for an artifact and um, have got no ideas at all about what you could do, the reason why we created this task is because you could actually use this as your artifact for the assessment. You need to obviously identify and justify need, but you should be able to think about some of the students that you have in your classes in front of you and think about the education systems which they may come from. So as I mentioned earlier on, uh, in this podcast interview, I have the pleasure of talking to Mila, and I'm also joined by Tamihinga. Now, Mila is the MindLab's postgraduate director in the Waikato region. She teaches in Rotorua, Hamilton, Cambridge, Tauranga, and to be exact, all around our beautiful country where there is an opportunity. She is an avid traveller. Now, she's been working for the Mind Lab for four years. 
and still calls it her dream job. She's excited about the opportunities of technology in and outside education, although she's just as into humans and how they learn together, no matter their age. So we really hope you gain some insight from this interview. Um, Mila is now on our Google Plus community, so if you've got any questions, please tag her in some of the comments. Tēnā koroa, ke te peihia koroa. Tēnā koe, Tim, ka nui taku ora. Kia ora. Kia ora, terveisia aurinkoisesta Hamiltonista. Now, for any of you who are listening carefully, you will realise that I was not Turiwa Māori. That is because I'm joined by Mila and Temehinga, who you'll recognise Temehinga's voice. And Mila, could you tell us a little bit about what you just said and a little bit about your background, please? I just said that. Greetings from the sunny Hamilton. Even if it's in the, in the middle of the winter, for me, as Finn, as a Finn from Finland, it's actually quite warm. Yeah, this is not winter. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to this weather. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Now, um, as I said in the bio a moment ago, Mila's one of our colleagues and good friends at the Mine Lab by Unitech. Um, and Mila's background is slightly different to a lot of ours. Amila, I was hoping you'd be able to tell us a bit about your education and where you've come from um, to how you've become a postgrad director at the Mine Lab by Unitech. Sure, yeah, yeah. The, um, I used to be a primary school teacher, so that's what I studied to become. Um, that was my passion, to teach, teach kids. And so I did study that um, and worked as a primary school teacher for, for a few years. And I really loved it, loved working with kids. Um, amazing group of seven-year-olds who were, by the way, the first graders. That's when you start mm-hmm. school in Finland as a seven-year-old. Um, the I realized that teachers don't collaborate that much. <laughs> I probably had noticed that already as a as a student being in school, but then I realized that I kind of like I, I still wanted to learn. I loved learning with the kids, but then like the like I, I thought like there must be places outside education where people are learning even more than in education and I wanted to kind of see what the what the fuzz was about. I ended up meeting Frances online um, and we kind of shared resources and that's when she was planning the Mind Lab, starting to teach teachers was her dream. Uh. Something that I had dreamed about also, I was, all, I was thinking of taking a study break and doing a bigger research relating to that but then I ended up moving to New Zealand when we started, <laughs> since there was, I found a person who had the same exact passion and was actually ready to do something. And even if it wasn't in Finland, it was in a same size of a country. So there's a lot of similarities really between Finland and New Zealand, aren't there? Um, yeah, like research-wise, like no matter no matter what you're studying, it's quite interesting to compare the same since it's all the countries, since it is pretty similar. It's the same size, the country. It's a huge country and not that big of a population, um, really spread out and so on. So for example, yeah, comparing education systems is also a bit more meaningful to compare to the same size of a country and so on. Yeah. And, and a similar kind of, um, background population and, and, and so on. So this week we're really looking into the wider perspectives of education and one of the main reasons that we need to do that is because New Zealand is one of the most diverse and cosmopolitan countries in the world. We're actually, Auckland is the fourth most diverse uh, population of a city in the world, which is really quite amazing. And I think about 
40% of the residents in New Zealand are born outside of New Zealand again. So it's really important for us as educators to understand the wider perspective of where our students might be coming from. And I know that probably Finland or, or uh, Finnish immigrants are probably quite low on the list of the people that we have in our schools. But I thought it was also really interesting because Finland has been um, held up high in regards of education as a place which is really doing things right. So one of the things that I'd really be interested in finding out first is what is the difference between the Finnish education system and the New Zealand education system? And what things have you observed which perhaps New Zealand may do better, Mila. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, PISA is probably the one one way to kind of compare those. And if you look at the results, of course, those are quite different. Um, the um, starting from well, one of the differences is that yes, seven year old, you go you go to a school when you're seven, and no one is fussing about you learning a learning to read and write. Before that, half of the class that came to school as a seven-year-old didn't know how to do that. Yeah, well. They all learned and still literacy skills are one of the highest in the world. And it's mm. a really tricky language to learn. Uh, some say that one of the good things is that you actually have to learn different languages. Everybody has to learn Swedish in mm. school, which is completely different than Finnish, since it is one of the official languages. Of course, if you live up north, it could be Sami, indigenous. Um, one of the Sami languages could be also um, the language you learn or you study fully. Um, indigenous culture, when it comes to education, is definitely one of the biggest differences, which is done so much better in New Zealand, mm. um, kind of leading the way. There's so many things that we can do better, but it's definitely a we're a global leader. So yeah. that's that's why I really love love being in New Zealand. Um, the but then, for example, that's seven-year-olds. When I was teaching them, I had 27 seven-year-olds in my first class I ever got, my own, finally, my own class. Um, the, um, they spoke 10 different languages at home. Wow. <laughs> so it was really, really diverse group. So are they sort of local dialects or are they more no, no, international like languages? Yeah, Estonian, Vietnamese, English, Swedish, Russian... Okay, so, so Finland also has quite a diverse population because I didn't realise that. I thought that yeah, it, in Helsinki, I'd say that in the big cities, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, immigrants, yes. But then that's that not that common. But my class happened to be one of those, which I mm. loved. Yeah. Mm. So, what sort of preparation did you have in your training to deal with um, a diverse range of learners that you were presented with? Is it something that's prioritised? in the training system in Finland? Because I know a lot of um, the things that we hear about the Finnish um, teaching profession is that firstly, it's really, really hard to get into and they only, may only take, I don't know, sort of less than 5% of the people that apply to be a teacher. And secondly, they, everyone has to study a master's to become yeah. a teacher. So, yeah. I mean, was there anything in your preparation to, to deal with your learners? In my own one, especially like multicultural, I think I, I did one course back then, which was a voluntary one. Mm, <laughs> and that, wow. was it. that was it. But I'd say that kids are the same. I'd say that it's more of a, um, more of a, like, do you value that? It is diversity. If you, if you live on the 21st century, that's, that's mm. what you, yeah, no. And I guess actually I was, I was, uh, lived near Hels I lived near Helsinki, so there were actually many backgrounds, um, in even in my own class back then. Mm. So it was natural, yeah. 
so so it was already built into a societal perspective that it is a diverse and um multicultural mm, definitely it's definitely there's more nowadays as part of the part of the studies um but i'd say it's more hmm, the yeah it's it's kind of like universal skill it's not a a teacher skill it's a universal being a human <laughs> the cultural literacy yeah we talked quite a bit on this course around global competencies and yeah. how they're measured in mps and the worth of being able to communicate with a wide range of people and to understand others cultures and a lot of the work that we've looked at is to be to have your own cultural identity doesn't necessarily mean um you see your own culture as the main culture and disregard all other cultures it's it's the point of being comfortable with your cultural identity and then um accepting others cultural identity as well the one of the interesting things about the global competence is like i'm really looking forward to see how finland does in pisa now mm. that it's actually part of pisa since now this year in 2018 um they're going to ask in pisa about teachers global competence from each of the students taking part of pisa like yeah. for example do they how do they have misconceptions about the history of some some groups or cultural groups or or do they blame people or do they have the same ex- expectations academic expectations for everyone mm. so all of those things are going to be asked from the 15 year olds about teachers global yeah. competence that would be so, that would be so interesting now i can imagine yeah. some teachers may be feeling a bit nervous about that yeah yeah well that they should be if they <laughs> they're not doing the jobs properly that's right that's right what are the differences of course there's kind of all these well-being well-being and student welfare differences school lunch is free which makes it more equal yeah. for everyone yeah. um yeah yeah that's, that, that's, that, a, that's a big difference and that's kind of if you look, look at what what are the differences between new zealand and finland new zealand has much of a long longer tail so poverty Mm. um something that the world is in general we're doing better and better as a humankind there's less poverty in the world but definitely something that we could be doing better in new zealand mm. and i know in finland the taxes are quite high people pay quite a lot of taxes however a lot of that is reinvested into education and it's free to receive education up to university qualification yeah, yeah. fully free mm. fully free yeah So I mean thinking about the statistics and so on and you said the um I guess it's almost inclusion of the indigenous population the sami in the um education system isn't as you mentioned earlier as good as the the approach that we have here of um un- being underpinned by tutelity or whiting in bicultural education system in New Zealand can you tell us a bit more about that I guess the yeah the his, history is different and for um the there's a lot of battles uh, battles going on and some people fighting for their rights just like they should um I guess it's a unfortunately similar things that are happening almost all around Europe mm. right now um even if we are the more global and open we are I guess it makes people afraid um mm. the um studying in a same level uh in sami is not you can't study all the way to university for example mm. um so the things that for the last decades the things that we we've done um in maori are the things that they're dreaming about 
in Finland for for the indigenous culture. Mm. The but yeah, it didn't. Um, I'm actually quite shocked here to realize how little it affected my teaching. Um, mm how it wasn't part teaching in Helsinki, that wasn't it, even if otherwise it was um, a range of cultures. Like um, there was just a in really interesting book that won the Literacy Award of the Year in Finland, which t tells about the history of Finland and how even, even if Sami language is really different than Finnish language, it's actually the origin for Finnish, mm. which is the the main main language um and all these things that i'm i'm eager to learn <laughs> and i'm living on the other side of the world um but i guess traveling as such and living in different places talking and learning different languages and cultures actually opens your eyes even for your own own culture yeah yeah i'd certainly agree so overall it seems as if the sami population and the inclusion in their education or the inclusion in the Finnish education system isn't as strong as we have in um, New Zealand. However, I know, also know in New Zealand that we've still got a long way to go as well. Um, Tamihinga, in the research that you've done and the travels you've been on, is there anywhere that's really doing a good job of um, approaching education in a bicultural way? Oh, yes. Um, I'm part of a, a group called Te Panikiri Tango Te Reo Māori um, and Lamnai o Ngā Ikāwhiro is what we call and that is the Institute of Excellence in the Māori Language. Um, and so every two years, uh, under Sir Timothy Karetu, we have a cultural exchange, um, a language exchange of indigenous languages across um, overseas. Our first trip we wow. went to, um, well, they've had four trips, I've only been to two. <laughs> Our first one we went to uh, North and South Dakota, so we spent time with the Lakota and the Dakota people. Um, mm and that that again is like the extreme we saw extreme poverty um for places like pine ridge where they had the um the massacre and all that stuff so what it's done over the years colonization of that area so they're, mm. they're really fighting really struggling um to get anything happening amongst their people because you know that it's just so they're just so poor but then we went to another place um and um, sitting Bull College and it's kind of similar to Te Wānango Aotearoa how it's right. uh, the young people um, getting things happening um, even though a lot of their lecturers in their own languages are from maybe English you know they're not um, their own people leading at the mm. moment but they're getting stronger and so that's why we go over there and make exchanges um, we also last year we visited Europe so we went to Wales um, Ireland Scotland and we met with the kind of really proactive people so it's all about um our purpose was about language and exchanging resources and ideas and so mm. the best thing that you know one of the cool things we were really rocked by was in Wales um they have a language festival so it, we <laughs> likened it to the equivalent of Te Matatini uh, Kapahauka mm. National Festival yeah. so they have their own real uh, festival um, and it's for primary school children and so they have competitions for the best to you know dances all about the language celebrating these stores there's concerts um, poetry mm. yeah so there's a lot of I think they would probably be the most um, strongest in terms of um, having a lot of involvement similar to us to Māori um, but mm. that is because it's in policy as well 
And that's yeah. what we're not doing enough of in Aotearoa. And everywhere you go, um, all the signage is in both real. Well, the Indigenous language first and then English, if you're lucky. So you can see the different areas where it's stronger because sometimes it might not have any English at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a really good approach. And I, I used to love going to Wales. I used to go there quite a bit on surf trips over to Ireland. We drive through Wales. And as soon as you crossed over the bridge, the Severn Bridge, you were in a different country. Right. And in a lot of places in England and Scotland, probably, um, you didn't have that complete change. And I used to love it the, the way the, the local the Celtic language was um, held higher than English, which I think was a really strong thing to do. So hopefully there's something in there we can learn from in New Zealand. As well, well, that was the exciting thing for us as Māori, <laughs> because a lot yeah. of our tip, you know, um, we, it was the best thing for us was to show them who our ancestors were. And so Timothy would ask, you know, for us to put our hands up when we were in a different country so they could see that we had, who had Welsh ancestry, like grandparents were Welsh, you know, so they thought we were just staunch Māori. <laughs> and then, or we went to Ireland and then more than half of us put our hands up because my great-grandmothers were um, Irish, you know, so still really mm. make it, even though they were colonised by the English in certain ways, well, then, it was like, then your ancestors came to Aotearoa and colonised us. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I really kind of it highlighted that fact that it doesn't matter, you know, it impacts everyone. And But we all want to know where we're from and we all want to mm. really seek out our proper identity. That actually reminded me, like I, I used to study in Ireland for a bit, um, for a while, um, I say kind of a did a student exchange there um, and kind of listening to you made me think of empathy which is like the big word uh, buzzword also which is a big thing when it comes to kind of cultural intelligence and awareness and understanding each other um, in Ireland what I loved was the the fact that how big how big drama education is there and gosh that's powerful to step into someone else's shoes and feel even like even we we did i still remember what it what it felt like to be a five-year-old in ellis island um running away from the potato um <laughs> famine <laughs> since i was i was that five-year-old when we were acting that mm. um and yeah i think i think drama and that sort of things are or or even gaming just the what you were uh Temi Hinga talking made me or reminded me of last week i played the third world farmer uh video game or the it's a flash game uh, you can play that on your device mm. and oh what like i played it for 20 minutes but like gosh that was a harsh 20 minutes like i would be like oh like really made me to feel what it would be like to be a third world farmer oh, just like th there was no way that I could win no way and I, tr I really tried my best I tried to learn like what should I have should I have chickens or should I and all those things that kept on kept on happening which were out of my reach oh yeah such an empowering thing so I think that's a really strong message actually Mila is that for us as educators and also the students and the, the learners we work with it's important for us to have an empathy for the wider perspective of the global world and through learning through perhaps games like that which are engaging um, or drama or dance or movement I think is a really powerful way because you remember these things you know I mean you could read a story about it or get them to study it um, and 
create a poster or something like that. But I think for those sorts of things, to develop that kind of empathy, it has to be a lot more engaging experience. And Yeah, and that's true. Talking about experiences, when we went to Scotland, we went to um, one of their most sacred um, maunga um, called Dinat, and that's where um, centuries for centuries, that's where they would um, crown the, the king of Scotland. So whoever, you know, whichever mm. iwi or whichever clan would be the next king. And so, and there is one guy, um, Adam, he is the only, or there are only three of them. So it's his grandmother himself, and now he's teaching his daughter to speak their own dialect. <laughs> so there's a solo guy bringing back his whole dialect um, through different experiences. And so he really wanted us to experience how they, um, I guess it's like how we do a porphyry, but but really induct someone into your own culture. So he took us through the whole tikanga of how he knew he had done years of research and he kind of pieced it all together and tried to make it as authentic as he thought felt right. And, and his friends too. So there are a few others from different clans and we could only speak um, of, for them Gaelic in their own dialect and us te reo Māori, no English was um, allowed to be spoken. But we had, and we went through and you get your feet washed and you you know their own type of karakia um said to you and it was just man so powerful and really moving and you just think man for years they would have looked out with all their hopes and dreams of you know doing the best for their country without realizing how um colonization would really impact them and i was really oh yes we know how you feel <laughs> it's like brave heart all over again <laughs> but it was amazing <laughs> so if you have anyone that's going to scotland i'd really encourage you to to go to Dunard. yeah yeah, it's an amazing example too in thinking that there's been that much colonization that there's only three people left who can be true to that to that culture. Um, so I mean, that's a really, really big lesson to learn is that the Western sort of hegemonic global taking over the world um, can, can eradicate things quite radically. And one of the challenges I think that we face today is through technology and i don't know as you guys with with quite a background in technology probably think about this a bit is how do things like google or microsoft or all those other platforms that we use throughout all of our schools in almost all the world how do they um either diminish or support local cultures because i think this is a really important thing to perhaps think about in the in the wider perspective of education uh, yes definitely um as we were on the trip because of the social media, um, we had our own cameras. Um, a lot of our group are te karere or te kaya presenters on Māori TV. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, instant but... access to all, um, to all the interviews and that. So as we're overseas, we're always, nearly every day we're getting interviewed and people back home could see what was happening. Um, and we made a lot of the newspapers, front page newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And when we had a cultural exchange um, back in Scotland, we had a um, like a night and a drink lots of whiskey as well but um <laughs> it was live streamed they've got a indigenous uh, live stream network and that just went off the scale oh. as well and um the best thing about that night like, we got to touch rob roy's sword so, you know, those kind of experiences it is getting out there and it is if you get the right people behind it it can make a great impact yeah yeah, yeah that I, I think that's the really important point is that the right people need to steer it I mean, there's obviously within this, uh, the, the internet age, there's, there's opportunities to share things through indigenous networks. 
How about though the bigger companies like Google? How are they becoming or trying to become more culturally responsive in their approach? Um, you know, are they using translation tools or different versions of the web browser, or does it look like the same for everyone? Um, it's continually evolving. Um, like we know, we had that big campaign led by Timurita Morrison through Vodafone. I mm. can't remember the name now, but um, the whole idea was you got in and you said which places that you think Google needed to improve their Te Reo Māori pronunciation on, and that's already improved. You might get half a mm. word right, like Waikato, so, <laughs> but that's better than Waikato. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and also, Google has a Google Translate community. Anyone can belong to it. Um, I just do it on as a side thing when I just need to refresh and touch up my own translator skills, and you can um, you can kind of QA stuff that's already been done. So you can just say mm. yes or no. Nah, that's rubbish translation. Or you can add in your own translations. Um, but what, what it does is it uses that data and it helps um, it just helps it become more um, fluent in Te Reo Māori. The downside is, like I did a, um, a report last week for Te Karere, is that <laughs> you get the bad scammers, people that don't use um, this technology in the right way. And the, when uh -huh. they know that you speak Te Reo Māori, they'll scam you in Te Reo Māori. But <laughs> if you're onto it, you can see it's been a straight translation from Google. Oh, yeah. wow, really? That's right, yep. That's, that's unbelievable. Oh, no. <laughs> it happens. I'll get there. They'll get you some way. <laughs> <laughs> and how about in in Finland or in Europe, Mila? What's is there? Do you feel that effect of having somewhere like um, Google or something like that taking over part of what you're doing? Yeah, similar. In a yeah, completely similar way. Although although Finland seems to be a bit more Microsoft country than Google country in like education wise, but mm. the. But it, yeah, there's a Finnish is spoken like this about five, a little over five million people speaking that language. So of course it is different. And, um, um, but then, yeah, teacher wise, like kids don't speak English. English is not an official language. And then most of the software is in English. Mm. So of course that's a, that's a huge issue. Um, especially the younger, younger the students. Um, the, what's really cool is that all those like Google and Microsoft, most of those things are actually open. So just like Tamihinga said, you can actually contribute uh, YouTube videos. You can go and um, add the, um, uh, and now I can't find the word in English. Uh, that's funny. Translate, yeah. subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would need a bit, I would have needed a subtitle for my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can put those in. Even in things like, I just the other day on Netflix, I was watching Call the Midwife, and then there was a Swedish boat that came to UK, and then um, it said, the subtitle just said that speaking Swedish and speaking <laughs> Swedish, and they didn't even translate that. And then at one point it says speaking Swedish, and no, it was Finnish. So I had to. <laughs> Have to report that like no 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 in these two yeah. <laughs> they're like definitely not swedish completely different language it was finnish mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah that's you can report that and you can actually contribute and it can be your students contributing yeah things that matter so yes yeah, yeah and so, before google got on board or before i had a whole group of mates that um got you know the google interface into the maori uh we did translations for microsoft so that was part of the mm. um university of waikato um the maori language commission and microsoft themselves so that was back in the early 2000s and then they've had another revamp so a lot of our students 
um, and could have access to that now, which is really awesome for keeping the real alive um, across platforms, you know, IT stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the language just the when we were talking about PISA, one of the things that I recently realized when I did the, the tests online, um, I do much better in Finnish mm. than in English still. Like if I do the same exact test, I'm so much better thinking about, for example, a science problems in Finnish mm. than I am in English. Um, it it is a like yeah, considering that I'm working and living in in in, an, in New Zealand, I still do so much better in Finnish. Yeah, and, and that links us to the next program of study, which we're going to be working on, which is around design for learning and how can we enable. Uh, success for all of our learners by making it more accessible and mm. in your case yeah if you had the opportunity to um, demonstrate that you knew the same information in Finnish you perform mm. a lot better so really you're being double tested and this is something that Michelle mm. talks about in our second week in the podcast is that when we're asking perhaps some of our Pacifica learners to write an essay about some of the things they've learned it's you know you're testing not not only on the things that they've learned but also in writing an essay so in your case you're you're being tested in the language and in the, the knowledge of the content that you're supposed to have retained yeah well, so on the flip side um te reo maori is my second language even though i believe that i had te reo maori you know right from conception it's always in me but i didn't mm. formally start learning until i was 11 and now everything I prefer to speak and to write into Te Reo Māori as well because it, I, I get uh, more flow happening. Um, there's something emotional that happens and it's more of a connection for me. You know, I understand my word, world better in Te Reo Māori than I do in English, even though <laughs> that's my whole life. Yeah, so it's, it's mm. a difference in that as well. Mm. Yeah, and so we have to be conscious of that in our classrooms and especially when they're really diverse and we've got a wide range of learners. Um, it's really easy to see it from the teacher's perspective, especially when English is the main language that the teacher may speak. Mm. And, you know, we're forcing our children to learn. They may be from a wide range of backgrounds and it might just be a barrier trying to understand the pedagogical method that you're trying to um, perhaps uh, instill in your classroom. That might be, you know, that might be something. It's not just the language, it's the way you teach as well that could mm. be a barrier. Mm, there's, and languages, when you know many languages, you know that none of them is correct. There's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no one way of explaining a word for the sun and it has different different meanings. And there's many times different languages have words that don't exist in different other languages. Mm. Um, it is like it actually you create your worldview depending on which language language you use. One of the ones that I love to use as an example from, from Finnish is, for example, to be, teachers talking about engagement and everybody's fussing about engagement and then we don't use that word in education in Finland <laughs> <laughs> so so and and then especially here when teachers are talking like what do you mean by that and then they realize that they don't they just use that yeah. and then mm. like they can use like even engagement if you look at research it could be it is the the whole like is it emotional engagement is it cognitive engagement is it the mm. behavioral that teachers actually mean most of mm. the time, which is not even the English kind of real meaning for that. Mm. Um, and all these like big words, then it's more like, how, what, what do they actually mean to you? Then just to 
use the word. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. for Te Reo Māori, you know, we don't just have reo, we have Te Reo Māori me ona tikanga. So it's all our tikanga that guides us as well. And that was talking about our cultural exchanges overseas. So even though our um, our native whanaunga, we think, oh, yep, native, um, they must, you know, must have similar tikanga, but there was quite a huge kind of cultural shock towards us. And luckily, <laughs> Timothy warned us beforehand that the, mm. the whole uh, concept or the whole you know, way we do manaakitanga is completely different. Um, they've been so, um, Timothy because have been just so westernised that th- there isn't, well, it's just different. Um, you know, we have our formal welcoming ceremony and then they stop there. <laughs> but, right. you know, we're like, oh. What? So we he had to see what kind of things that they do to you know to follow on with the kai because we had to say we can't you know do all these things. Apparently the kai rounds it all off and brings everyone everything back into mm. balance. So it was just a really yeah. Those are the things we have to be more aware of that we've really got it good here when we um, when we know how to um, have real tikanga things happening in our schools or anywhere you know how we conduct ourselves so we're quite lucky in that sense so from from your experience of traveling globally and looking at a wider perspective of uh different education systems and different cultures and societies what sort of advice would you have for our participants to be able to um not only understand what it's like to be learning in a different environment but also empathize with the the learners who may be um, challenged by some of the pedagogies or some of the ideas of our um, New Zealand education system. Um, yeah, definitely. I would recommend you to put yourself out of your comfort zone. My auntie was 50 before she traveled and she had the courage, which like she's unfortunately quite racist, <sighs> but that's she, she's never really traveled. Um, she we went to germany and there was one particular moment which was eye-opening for her we were in a halfly japanese halfly um what was it well they were different like the um the, 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 the turkish yes mm. restaurant interesting combo of these two cultures in the same like they were kind of <laughs> serving two types of food in two different yeah tables and then when we ate after we ate we just sat there and she said that could we just stay here a bit longer and she realized that it's a situation where she never ever had been before that the people were talking different languages Mm. none of which she understood she understood that if she's speaking Finnish no one will understand her and she was 50 Mm. And that was the first time ever she got that experience that people are actually and and now I've I realized that are they talking about, like, about me and I don't know that and that that opened her eyes and that's something that she is yeah going back to every once in a while um, after that but hopefully we get those experiences a bit sooner and especially like if you if you've always yeah being surrounded by English go somewhere where you're not understood by speaking that language I'd recommend that the best thing that I'd get out of being a teacher especially in Aotearoa itself we've got lots of opportunities to go and visit our kura um, especially ones that are really doing well um, and are really strong and because not all of them are really strong in speaking te reo Māori but you have some that mm-hmm. everything is right through the community if you go down to Ōtaki um, to get in touch and spend a day at a kura with all their 
you know, see tikanga and play right from the start as soon as the kids arrive to school. Um, and most could are usually settled for the karakia and all that, but it's the whole school um, together at once. Um, and also we've got all our aonga Samoa as well. You know, all those opportunities, I'd, especially if you're in Auckland, I'd go and keep in touch with them. And even te wānanga Aotearoa, there are a lot of different ways in how um, education has been done right on our and that, I think, that, yeah, that links really well to some of the um, opportunities our participants have got this year in the collaborative school visits. So, yeah, make sure you're going to schools, which is going to allow you a wider perspective. Obviously, the feeder schools are really good to go to. Um, but, yeah, primary schools, uh, look at different kura, look at the wide range of um, diverse populations you've got around you and try and go into some of those learning environments and put yourself outside of your comfort zone will give you a better appreciation for um, where we are right now. Mm. And when you read research, when you do it, the academic part of that, look at different countries. So don't just look at what's happening happening here, but look at mm. elsewhere. If, if, if our participants are looking in the library um, for different resources and so on to understand, um, looking at First Nations education is a really good place to start mm. because there's huge groups and conferences and lots of research done on how um, that can be made a lot better because obviously now unfortunately in retrospect after the sort of colonization and this sort of sweep of this English education system across the whole world we've realized that actually there's a lot that we can learn um, from the knowledge that we've sort of slowly been hiding and, and putting away in cupboards so hopefully yeah we can look into that as, as part of our understanding wider perspectives. One, one of the aspects that I really like is thinking about um, being culturally aware and culturally knowledgeable, being it one of the literacies, which is one of the things that OECD defines as one of the 21st century skills. Mm, that yeah. is, is actually one of, the, one of the literacies. It's not just literacy numeracy, um, but there's, there's also actually cultural and civic literacy. So, like, how do we think do things in New Zealand? But then also, um, it is a global world. Online world is global all the time for all of us. So, mm-hmm. it is one of the literacies. Yeah, and and that's actually part of the class notes this week, and we do link to that and thinking about those sixteen skills of the twenty first century. Oh yeah. So yeah, that, that's really. I'm really glad you brought that, Mila, because mm-hmm. that does underpin where we can be coming from as, as teachers, but also what our students need to understand as well. And we also talk about the um, global competence or the dimensions of global competence in thinking about local, global and intercultural issues, um, among other things to support your understanding of the world and where you fit in. So yeah, there's, there's lots of research and lots of theory that underpin the real life uh, challenges that we face. Mm. Well, I've, again, learned so much from spending a nice 45 minutes with um, Tamihinga and, and Mila. So I do really appreciate the time that you've dedicated to this and to uh, discussing some of these issues that we face uh, and hopefully allowing our participants to understand a bit more about these, uh, these ideas. Uh, if any of you would like to get in touch with Mila, um, I'll put you in touch with her. I'll actually get Mila to join the um, Google Plus community. So you, awesome. can, yeah. so you can tag her in comments if you're interested. Okay. Cool. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll catch you later on. I'm sure we'll probably have a hang out again soon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> These podcasts are published under Creative Commons Attribution 
no commercial, no diversion. 4.0 International. The music used in the intro and outro is a track called Siesta by Desire from the Free Music Archive and is licensed under a backtribution share like 3.0 and ported. TA Modi Order. Thank you.